Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. New data from the American Cancer Society indicate breast cancer is now the most common cause of cancer death for African-American women in Georgia, even though the breast cancer death's overall rate has been declining. Carol DeSantis is lead author of the Society's Biennial Breast Cancer Statistic Report out this month. She joins me in the studio. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. Brian Rivers is director of the Cancer Health Equity Institute at Morehouse School of Medicine. His research interests include cancer health disparities. Welcome to you, Brian. Thank you. All right, Carol, going to start with you and some of the basics. How likely is the average woman to get breast cancer in her life? So the risk is uh, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer within their lifetime here in the U.S. How, how many total? So that's 13% of all women. Um, so in 2019, that translates to an estimated 268,000 women will be diagnosed this year in this country. Now, Brian, you study racial disparities in healthcare. So clarify for us, black and white women equally likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer but black women are more likely to die as a result? That's correct. Uh, Any nuance behind those numbers, or is that as stark as it sounds? You know, it is. Um, uh, You know, we've been studying uh, these disparities for over a decade now, and we're starting to better understand the why. Why why are um, black women and white women equally um, able to be diagnosed um, with breast cancer? But then we see this disproportionate impact of breast cancer on black women, realizing that black women have a higher mortality in comparison to white women. So what's going on? What's the difference? And we're starting to disentangle in um, factors at the individual level. Um, we're looking at tumor characteristics at black women, of the uh, black women um, tumors. The specific tumors, the like specific character tumor, of right? You know, black women are more likely to be diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Um, we're looking um, at the development of new therapeutic targets, realizing that the current treatment options available for black women are not as effective as they are for white women. We're also looking at the role of obesity and other comorbidities that are germane to black women. Uh, And and then lastly, we're looking at quality of care and the availability of this quality of care, realizing that African-American women are less likely to have that access to quality care um, across the cancer continuum from prevention to early detection to diagnosis as well as treatment. All right, I'm going to unpack those with you in just a second. But first, understanding from Carol, in fact, black women are 40% more likely to die from breast cancer than white women. Now, I understand the disparity had been widening, is now stable. Can you walk us through those patterns? Right. So since 1989, breast cancer death rates have been rapidly declining, and they declined faster in white women than in black women. So what we saw was that the racial disparity in breast cancer mortality rates was widening until 2011. That was when they were at their peak, and death rates in black women were 44 percent higher than compared to white women. But in the the most recent data show that overall um, the death rate is now 40% higher in black women compared to white women. Um, We also looked at this uh, by age and found that younger black women, the death rate was actually twice as high compared to younger white women. All right, let's look at some of those numbers because that's actually quite surprising. Does risk of breast cancer increase with age in overall population? That's correct, yes. But younger black women more likely to be or, or getting diagnosed more frequently? 
Yes. Younger black women are diagnosed more frequently than younger white women. And this this disparity in death, death rates, is is magnified in the women under age 50. So, Brian, Georgia has the third worst uninsured rate in the country. You talked about access. How does ability to afford care figure into the risks and outcomes? Uh, it's a really important um, variable. And we're starting to better understand what we call social determinants of health. Um, and these are factors associated with poverty, associated with culture, as well as social um, injustice. So what I mentioned before were more as what we consider individual factors that relates to this disparate outcome among um, African-American women in the context of uh, breast cancer. But now we're starting to sort of disentangle some of these complex variables at the social level, realizing that health insurance, which could be categorized under the construct of poverty, um, really impacts one's ability to obtain adequate health service, as well as utilize preventive services, including screening and other um, 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 care services mm -hmm. uh, related to prevention. And, and so we see a disparate, um, a disparity in terms of the utilization patterns. Um, those who are uh, more uh, publicly insured, um, such as through Medicaid or Medicare, are less likely to uh, participate um, in preventive care services, and they're more likely to delay um, an abnormal screening result, mm -hmm. the, the follow-up, if you will. You know, um, the, and, and this is a trend that we've seen consistently over the past 20 years as it relates to black women and breast cancer. Um, in um, the early, um, pro about probably two decades ago, Harold Freeman, um, a well-known breast cancer surgeon out of Harlem, New York, um, saw this phenomenon taking place, realizing that, you know, black women would come in, receive a diagnosis of breast cancer, but then there was this delay in terms of them showing up for their first course of treatment. So he instituted this model called patient navigation, mm -hmm. which was purpose to resolve um, that time gap that um, they were experiencing or uh, witnessing among black women in terms of the time they were diagnosed to the time that they actually showed up for their primary course of treatment. He actually was able to shrink that time. You know, and, and so again, the question begs, well, why is there a delay? Is it because of you know, their, um, you know, the, the, the site of where care is being received? Um, is it uh, related to the type of health insurance they have? Or is it something more germane such as fear or mistrust of the health care system? Mm -hmm. So these are all different elements that we're starting to better understand. And you know, how do they um, you know, factor the disparity that we see as relates to black women and breast cancer? I'm speaking with the, of the American Cancer Society principal scientist, Carol DeSantis, who found alarming disparities between black and white women who die of breast cancer, while such deaths overall are declining. But we just heard from Brian Rivers, director of the Cancer Health Equity Institute at Morehouse University School of Medicine. And as we're hearing, his research interests include cancer health disparities. Well, this is something that we've covered a lot on the show, you know, conversations about maternal mortality, Georgia, of course, being the worst state, stats much worse for black women. Um, the role that subtle racism appears to play. Now, we've heard both anecdotes from people and research that says sometimes it is harder for black women to convince doctors that they need care. You're talking about the response of the women in themselves, you know, whether they go back for care. So how does how does that kind of social um, subtle racism or, let's say, unconscious bias play into that? Sure. And, and it's a significant factor as well. And, and so then we get into the health system um, factors, um, factors at the systems level or at the provider level in terms of the site of care 
um, where black women are um, going for breast cancer treatment. And oftentimes they're um, low resourced. Um, they're not your NCI, um, National Cancer Institute designated cancer centers um, that are very robust and comprehensive um, in, in service um, services that they deliver. Um, but but we're seeing that you know the site of care matters and that there's differential outcomes as it relates to where one goes for treatment for cancer. And this is seen across uh, many um, cancer types. And breast cancer is a um, classic example as well. Um, and so it is an unconscious bias because these are environments in which you know the standard of care um, is, is being practiced, um, but 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 it may not be as effective. Uh, for this population. So here's the role of culture. Here's the role of health literacy. Here's the role of patient-provider communication, effective patient-provider communication. So providers having the knowledge of how to best treat a young patient with triple negative breast cancer, you know, we assume that that knowledge base is there but oftentimes it's missing. Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes, in, especially in rural Georgia, people are struggling to access care. You know, it, hospitals it, it, are closed, exactly. physicians trying to serve large areas, not even able to find a doctor. Um, Carol, I'm wondering here, though, there's another what's, what's popping up in your research, lung cancer, still the number one overall cancer killer nationwide. Now, we're talking about dire numbers for breast cancer, but what makes that disease in particular so difficult to beat? Well, lung cancer is a highly fatal cancer, but um, I mean, we're seeing declining rates in lung cancer because um, of declining smoking prevalence. So um, we are seeing progress being made in that cancer. And we've been talking about health issues that affect women, breast cancer, maternal mortality. Uh, racial disparity also exists when it comes to black men and prostate cancer. Brian, what does that gap look like? Yeah, so the gap, we've been studying this gap for over 20 years now, and it's persistent. Black men are more likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer as well as die from prostate cancer um, in comparison to other racial and ethnic groups. And we see a lot of parallels in terms of those contributing factors at the individual level, but then also at the community level and um, the provider level or the systems level. And, and so we see this interaction, and then we're trying to but understand the why. We know that there's limitations in the current screening modalities, whether it's the prostate-specific antigen test, the PSA, or the digital rectal exam, the DRE. We know that there's limitations. Um, so why we have the recommendation, all men should engage in informed decision-making. But again, the data that were, um, what was used to support this particular guideline, um, you know, should be examined further because the studies that produced these guidelines lacked an adequate representation of high-risk individuals. And what do I mean by high-risk? Those individuals that are at increased risk for obtaining this disease. So we know that there's three risk factors for prostate cancer, age, uh, being African-American or black, and then those with a family history. And, and so there was not an adequate representation in those screening trials, the prostate screening trials, the PLCO, and there was another trial conducted in Europe that adequately rep um, represented high-risk groups or even over-represented these high-risk groups. And so we come out with these limitations or these guidelines that we attempt to apply, you know, sort of to all individuals. You know, realizing that all individuals are not involved in a research study to really help inform some of the nuances that should be teased out in the guideline. So as a black man, what is my guideline for prostate cancer screening? Should I start screening at the age of 50, realizing that I'm, that I'm at increased risk, or should I start much earlier? And then do I have the bandwidth? Do I have the competency or the capacity to engage in a healthy shared decision uh, making process with my healthcare provider? And then is my healthcare provider aware of my increased risk 
and this disparity that exists among African-Americans? And is there a need for early intervention and greater surveillance as a result of my risk? And so these are, you know, that's just one example. Another example is just what happens at the time you hear the words, you have cancer. Mm -hmm. So especially with localized prostate cancer, um, you know, there's so many different pathways. You know, there has not been a clinical trial that has really compared these different treatments head on. Uh, radical prostatectomy or surgical intervention versus radiation therapy, whether it's brachytherapy or external beam radiation therapy. And so men are faced with a plethora of options in terms of, okay, what's best for me or which, which pathway should I pursue? And so, you know, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety around the decision-making process. Even more so, there's a lot of decisional regret as a result of the treatment that one selected because of the side effects of their encountering, whether it's impotence, whether it's incontinence, whether it's cognitive depletion, the list goes on. So quality of life matters as well, not just quantity of life. I'm going to stop you right there, if, I, if you don't mind, because I want to ask Carol, you know, obviously you are somebody who is the data collector, and you're looking at, are, are, do you think that you have methodology for properly weighing these kind of social, economic, racial factors, these sort of biases, when you're looking at this overall picture and just trying to get the number. Yeah, it's definitely a limitation um, for our screening guidelines. Like you said, um, they are largely based on studies that predominantly involve white women. So that's why it is important um, to have those discussions with your physician for a personalized recommendation. Um, the ACS Screening guidelines for breast cancer are that women should begin screening at age 45 with annual screening. At age 55, they could then switch over to biennial screening. But really, the women in, starting at age 40, 40, women should have a conversation with their doctor about their own risk factors to decide if age 40 is the right time to begin screening. Carol DeSantis of the American Cancer Society, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Also, Brian Rivers, director of the Cancer Health Equity Institute at Morehouse School of Medicine. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Now, you can join the conversation going on in our Facebook group, GPB Radio's On Second Thought. We've got some comments on our interview yesterday with Pat Mitchell, first female president of PBS. You can follow them there. We'll get to them later on in the show. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought. We've got a conversation about creating your dreams from a very young age and a terrific local nonprofit.